Welcome to the Visegrad Insight Podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. Welcome back. It's Monday, 6th of November 2023, when we record this podcast sitting in Visegrad Insight office. My name is Wojciech Przybylski, I'm Editor-in-Chief of Visegrad Insight. And I'm Adam Jasa, Deputy Editor. And we're looking into the events of the week uh, to comment and bring in the Central European perspective. Adam, uh, you've been authoring the weekly Outlook report this uh, this Monday, early Monday. It's in the mailbox of our subscribers. What's in it and what's, uh, what's to look ahead in this week? The most important event this week is going to be the publication of the uh, European Commission's report on, on enlargement, on the progress uh, candidate countries have, have made uh, to, to begin accession negotiations and, of course, uh the most important of them will be ukraine and um uh, in a sign that uh, these accession talks uh, are the opening of the accession talks is, is probable uh ursula von der leyen the commission president made a surprise visit uh, to kiev uh, during the weekend where she said ukraine's progress was impressive and and hinted that the report that the scorecard is going to be good enough for the Commission to recommend the start of the negotiations. The fate of other candidate countries is less known, so we need to see what's in the report. Indeed, and it comes very in a very peculiar moment. The Economist, just before the weekend, had uh, General Zaluzhny's uh, comments, an interview, and an op-ed, as well as an essay indicating that Ukraine is um, uh, in a stalemate fight with, with Russia, with a positional fight that, uh, uh, that brings a lot of human sacrifice as well as, uh, a lot of artillery shells and, 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 uh, the existing technology to the battlefield. Um, but not offering no breakthrough really in, um, in the struggle. Um, and immediately after we have the European Union push as if coming immediately um, in um, in a demonstration that EU can do uh, something in uh, in a quite a dire situation, uh, both on the front lines of of, of Ukraine um, counteroffensive against Russian occupation uh, against Russian invaders um, that uh, that did not bring the results that many observers have expected but have uh, indeed deplay, depleted a lot of resource Russia has thrown into the battle. But it has been also at, um, at an expense of uh, human life on the Ukrainian side uh, and a lot of effort that is still uh, bringing not enough results, at least until a technological breakthrough. So I think this is very, um, this is very important moment. Uh, and I, I wanted to pick your brain, Adam, and I have some com comments uh, to offer. Do you believe that the EU will use this moment to uh, manifest its, um, uh, its importance, its importance in uh, delivering for Ukrainian security and its own security? We have seen over this year that EU expenditure for Ukraine has overtaken US support. We have upcoming elections next year already, and we have this ambition and ex explored in Granada Declaration and also in, in a number of um, other documents, but also political statements that Europe wants to deliver, but can it deliver for Ukraine? Can it 
can it offer uh, enough for Ukraine, if not to win, then at least prevail until the uh, the situation improves and 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 make you know and some political um, settlement will be able to will be possible simply to uh, to emerge. Well, three points. First is that the uh, the context for Ukraine is certainly uh, difficult at the moment, uh, primarily because of the of the Middle East uh, situation, which which diverts the world's attention, diverts U.S. attention, and and is causing additional problems. And we all know the the background. Um, some of it is part of the wider struggle between uh, the world's autocracies, if you will, and and the sort of Western order. So. And, and clearly, the, the, this, this, the, the, the timing of this, um, of this um, uh, conflict in, uh, in over Gaza and and the attack on Israel by Hamas uh, play into this. So, so Ukraine is a little bit on the back foot. Um, against this background comes this surprising interview that you mentioned with General Zaluzhny. Uh, President Zelensky immediately. Uh, sort of countered that. So there is a, there are some obviously some strains in the leadership, which has so far been very united in Ukraine. Um, and, um, so, so, and, and you mentioned the stalemate and a lot of people are now saying that, you know, the war is stuck. Um, in, in those circumstances, the second point is very important that the EU is coming through with potentially opening the negotiations with, with Ukraine. It sort of alters some hope. People need hope, and Ukrainians who are obviously exhausted by the war, they also need hope. So if the EU can get its act together and actually start these accession negotiations, then that is going to be a very powerful signal. So in some sense, you know, the, the setbacks on the battlefield will be offset by the political you know, path for Ukraine. Uh, the important point here to mention is that, you know, back in the first... When the first wave enlargement took place, taking in Central European countries, for Russia, this was a non-event. Russia's focus was on NATO expansion. And the EU, uh, Russians did not understand the EU and they didn't really take it seriously enough. And only after the enlargement, they realized that actually membership in the EU was by far more uh, important and, 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 and marked a decisive shift in, in power in the region. And of course, now for them, the lesson of that is clear. And this is something that they're going to be very anxious to avoid integrating uh, Ukraine with, with Europe. So we need to see how some of the sort of, uh, some of the sort of, I would say, Russian proxies, if you will, in the European Union behave now. Will they try to block Ukraine's uh, accession? Uh, will they try to block the opening of the of the negotiations? Uh, this is what we need to see in the in the coming weeks. Well, when you mention the Russian proxies, of course, there is immediately Viktor Orban coming into the picture. Well, I'm glad you mentioned his name. <laughs> um, there is uh, there is this vibe that he brings in, and you immediately feel energized. Uh, although uh, probably it's a toxic, um, toxic uh, energy <laughs> energy that that pours into a conversation. So let's not dwell too much on, uh, into into his play. Um, as Hungary is struggling economically, we see um, a lot of numbers uh, also in the public opinion support dropping. So uh, we also see the political leadership in Hungary struggling to to maintain 
the control essentially over the society and the economy and in the political domain elsewhere uh, by making a lot of communication effort externally. Now uh, that seems to be an isolated effort, but we need to still wait for Slovakia. And we will see also a number of other countries um, which in Western Europe were so far also in before quite careful about, about Ukraine. It is a make of break or make uh, moment. It's an extended moment, of course, but uh, each step uh, here in the, in the domain of securing the West and Western standards and cooperation with Ukraine against uh, a pressing and growing chaos on, on the borders and especially coming from uh, Russia or even sometimes orchestrated from Russia. Um, it, as, as Russia benefits from the chaos, it spreads elsewhere. Um, is is quite uh, quite the important, the the defining moment, I would say, for, for the future of, um, of the EU. So um, at this point, I will also advertise the upcoming report that we're launching next week. And you can uh, look into the question whether the EU democracies will survive. Are they prepared to, to survive uh, what comes uh, potentially as a Trump age? Will the EU be able to stay united uh, in support of Ukraine? And will the transatlantic link prevail uh, as it does today with, uh, of course, natural tensions between partners, but in good spirits between the leadership of the EU and the US? Or there will be a, another uh, pivotal moment uh, in, in the upcoming uh, elections next year. The four scenarios and a focus on democratic security, as we always bring that one in, coming from Central European expert pool is, is, is in this report and there will be a number of events and more podcasts, of course, on this subject later on. But I think we need to focus back on the specific question of the week, which is the enlargement and what will come out of it. And importantly, my question is how Central Eastern European countries um, will address that challenge. There is, uh, there is, of course, a big opportunity um, simply looking back at every enlargement that generated new energy, positive energy this time, and new hope uh, for, for each enlargement, uh, you could say, was successful one. Um, even given the election results in Poland uh, that so far defies the criticism, uh, you know, uh, going against enlargement that we shouldn't have been enlarging by countries that may have problems with the rule of law, you see that the union itself have uh, innovated its uh, response and pushed uh, pressure that was read and understood and utilized by, in the sense of momentum by, by the voters in Poland who were dissatisfied with the economic performance and they can, they could have linked it according to the exit polls surveys with the rule of law conditionality and with the need of uh, better coordination and cooperation um, between um, between uh, Poland and the rest of the EU. You, I can self-advertise here my, my recent um, uh, paper I wrote for the EU, the Democracy Hub, where I evaluate these pressure points that EU has applied and, and which one of them were successful. But economy, of course, was, was the key important factor in these elections, as in any elections this day, the question of prosperity, um, fair chances and opportunities for the existing members. And in this light, I think there will be some tensions coming in from the very 
center of, of Central Europe from our countries. The government in Poland is just about to be formed. Um, we may actually, we don't know it yet as we record this podcast, but by the end of today, uh, we may have already a designation of the next prime minister. We're expecting this uh, prime minister to be uh, Donald Tusk, ultimately, uh, leader of the coalition of, of parties that won the election overall. But the biggest party, PIS, the outgoing government, is trying to uh, to make it difficult. And one uh, one important thing they have accomplished, apparently, in the light of our uh, article some we wrote at the beginning of autumn, is that the nationalist vibes and narratives, the very self-centered na- narratives of protecting uh, uh, our interests against, uh, you know, possibilities of helping and integrating with Ukraine, uh, have, although have not prevailed in Poland, but they have in Slovakia, they still have uh, entrenched themselves at uh, roughly at least 30% of the electorate uh, for which such such questions of uh, primacy of, 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 of however defined national interest or nationalist interest um, have been have been very important in these elections. How do we how do we impact that from Central Europe? What do you what do you see, Adam, as uh, as the big dilemmas? And obviously, there is already a political momentum elsewhere in Europe. But will there be one from Central Europe for the enlargement? The big advocate of the enlargement so far. Yes, and in, in some sense, you're absolutely right that, that uh, the outgoing government um, managed to uh, to impose a completely uh, surprising narrative about Ukraine's membership. Um, you know, uh, at the beginning of the year and last year, um, it was Poland and and other countries in the region defining Ukraine's EU ambition and membership as a strategic goal. Uh, in terms of sort of almost security. Uh, and in the last few months, suddenly in the campaign, law and justice made a U-turn and suddenly highlighted all the economic risks of Ukraine's membership, economic risks for Poland. And what I find really surprising is that the sort of mainstream analysts and mainstream parties seem to be sort of following this blindly and they're really trying very hard to to show that they are aware of these risks and that they one way or the other will need to be negotiated and handled. So suddenly Poland abandoned this highly principled approach to, uh, to Ukraine's membership and, 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 and took on a very mercantilist uh, approach, which I find surprising on two counts. First of all, you know, Poland has always been very principled about Ukraine's European prospect. Poland was the first country to recognize Ukraine's independence. Uh, Poland uh, supported Ukraine's uh, uh, European aspirations. The Solidarity Movement, which which still is a very powerful uh, sort of uh, myth uh, of of Poland's transition from communism to to freedom and and Europe. Solidarity Movement was was very clear about the right of nations in uh, in, uh, in the, the former Soviet sphere to 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 have the the, the right to self determination and and joining Western structures. So there is a legacy of of that, and and so this is one thing that I I hope the new government will uh, quickly uh, be able to 
sort of reattached itself to this narrative that it's a principled uh, approach. And the second, of course, is that some of these economic scares are exaggerated because as much as there are risks, but obviously there are also opportunities. And, and just as when Poland was joining the EU, it, it brought mutual def uh, benefits to the EU as such, to the old members and to Poland and other Central European nations. There are absolutely no reasons why it shouldn't be the same story with Ukraine. There's lots of opportunity there. And of course, the negotiations are going to take uh, some time and, and different areas will have to uh, find specific solutions that, that, that create such uh, mutual benefits. But setting this discussion up as a zero-sum game where Ukraine gains at the expense of Poland and other Central Europeans is a path to, uh, to disaster. So the new government really needs to make it clear to society that this should be a win-win situation. Well, indeed, and the numbers, the economic numbers are also very much encouraging. Uh, all the countries in Central Europe, Poland specifically, has been increasing their exports for a war-torn Ukrainian economy. The exports that have benefited are small and medium enterprises, uh, in particular sectors, in, in some sectors which are deficient, inefficient, uh, in, in, or, or in, in some pockets of, uh, um, of industry that, uh, that cannot compete with Ukraine, there will be some loss, uh, but there will be also the impulse to innovate uh, oneself. And that, again, will come with a transformative power of the EU funds that hopefully Poland will catch up and, and utilize, just like the other countries of the, the region uh, do. Poland is not the only one, not the only big uh, beneficent, uh, beneficiary of, of the transformation of Europe that is uh, right now taking place. I think we need to look at the at Romanian case. And Romania that stepped in uh, also strategically in for security reasons in support of Ukraine is potentially a big winner of the big economic transformation will come forth, um, especially because of the sea connectivity the ports, the, the connections uh, that can be built in the reconstruction of Ukraine, specifically speaking, in supplying the material, transportation, whatever is needed in terms of, of the investment that will generate also trade flows and potential trade routes that will go through the, the Black Sea. Uh, the Black Sea that so far has not been, uh, not only has been protected from the Russian domination, but the Russian fleet has been pushed back, um, keeping the ports of, uh, of Odessa uh, and other NATO and NATO countries uh, open. So uh, Romania is also to look ahead in this constellation along with, with other countries that are tremendously helping. I think in the past week we have been reporting on Bulgaria that is uh, not miraculously, but but impressively um, keeping in line with support of Ukraine, a country that has been considered for a long time a strong ally and, and a stark ally of, um, of, of, of Russia. Well, or at least not, if not ally, then, then a country penetrated um, by, by Russian interests and, and that utilize the corrupt elites. Um, I think it's very important what you mentioned here is that, you know, if Poland manages to, to abandon this disastrous foreign policy that we've seen in the past eight years, isolationist, nationalist, uh, sort of talking up national interest and, and the zero-sum game kind of approach, then Poland will have these allies you just mentioned because the momentum is there in Bulgaria, in Romania. Uh, Hungary is, as we mentioned earlier, the, the, the big unknown. 
Slovakia is a bit of an unknown as well, but if Poland, Romania, Bulgaria, uh, and, and, and the Baltic countries, if they manage to, to, to stay on the same message, then it's also harder for, uh, for, for Hungary and Slovakia to be the spoilers. So overall, it's, it's a good momentum for Europe. It's good momentum for Ukraine. The question is, uh, can this all fall into place? And, and you rightly pointed out the risks from US election next year and EU parliamentary elections as well. Yes, indeed. And this will be the focus of our debate in Brussels on the 13th of November, together with Heather Graby from Bruegel Institute, uh, Lubica Karvashova from uh, Slovakia, former EU Sherpa of the Slovak government, uh, Garvan Walsh from the European Policy Center, and myself. Um, this will be accompanied by a release of the report, how the EU uh, democracies will survive the Trump age. Foresight we have generated with civil society leaders from across Central Europe. So stay tuned and check the links attached to this podcast and on our website. Thanks, Adam, for the talk. Thank you. Thank you.